Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Archbishop Foley Beach brings us his message entitled, Am I Willing? Today's special feature comes from just a part of Be Strong and Courageous. I was in my first parish about six months, and the choir comes to me. It says they're having issues with the choir director. She's showing up drunk at rehearsals. We need your help. Long story short, I had to fire the organist who had been there for 15 years as the organist. And I'm the, the new young guy. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you. And that terrible experience that I had to go through, God walked me through the whole, and walked the church through the whole thing. So one last word about being strong and courageous. How does one get strong? He says here, be strong. So how does one get strong? You work out. You exercise the muscles. You push them further than they can go. It builds strength into your physical body. Be strong. So how's one strong in the Spirit? How's one strong in the Lord? Well, Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 6, that put on the full armor of God by prayer and Bible study and time with the Lord and faith and being filled with the Spirit. For it's not by power or might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. When we strengthen our spiritual muscles, we will be able to allow God's Spirit to be our strength. And it's God's strength we draw upon, not our strength. And we're able to be strong in Him, strong in the Lord. Spiritual strength comes from being with God and having God with you. So my brothers, have I not commanded you, the Lord says. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Class of 2018, like Joshua, go and possess the land. North America needs you to possess the land for God. Millions and millions of souls are at stake. And this class, you can turn North America back toward Christ. So rise, go over the Jordan, and possess the land. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you should go. Here now is our speaker for a word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. What price are you willing to pay so that others may come to know about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? What are you willing to go through in order to advance the cause of the kingdom of God? In our text this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul shows what he was willing to do so that the Gentiles might come to know Christ. I want to invite you to open with me to that passage. If you have your Bible or the, the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's Ephesians chapter 3. 
Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 1. He begins, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, I should stop here and really point out that verses 2 through 13, the whole rest of the text could be a parenthesis and a, and a oh, by the way. See, notice he begins, uh, for this reason. And then notice down in verse 14, he starts again, for this reason I bow my knees. It's, just, he was good, it's, it's as if he's going to tell them that he was going to pray for them. But then he thought about all the concern they had and that they might be discouraged because of his situation. So he gives us, oh, by the way. And then he goes on. Look at verse 13 just to summarize his concern. Or actually, yes, 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. And then he returns to his prayer with for this reason. Um, by the way, it might be worth noticing in verse, or chapter 1, verse 15, he, he also begins, For this reason, because I've heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks. And he goes on and talks about his prayer. Now, as much as I would like to focus on Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, because I really understand and value the power of prayer, our text doesn't take us there this morning. It reminds us of where Paul is. He's in prison. It reminds us of his special calling from the Lord to share the good news with the non-Jews of his day, the Gentiles. So let's look again at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now Paul is in Rome when he's writing this. He's awaiting his trial before the emperor Nero. He's been granted the privilege of having his own house, but he's under guard. He's chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier so he won't escape. So how does Paul speak of this? He says he's a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Nero, not a prisoner of Rome. He's not discounting the role of the Romans in all of this, but he's acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord, that he's sovereign even over the Romans. That his imprisonment, as bad as it is, is still under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not only this, he says he's in prison on behalf of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. In, in the last chapter, Paul had addressed the double alienation the Gentiles had been experiencing an alienation from God, and an alienation from the Jewish people. And that now in Christ, these barriers have been demolished by the cross. They now have access to God through the Messiah and are also considered fellow citizens in God's household. But then he explains this in some detail. So let's look at verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written to you briefly. When you read this, you, when you, excuse me, when you read this, actually, I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, a word that stands out in this passage is the word mystery. It's three times in verses 2 to 6, and then again in verse 9. Mystery. Now, when we hear the word mystery in the English language, it can be something that's secret and dark, puzzling, non-understandable, just out of reach. It's not comprehensible. But in the Greek, which this letter was originally written in, the word mystery has a, a different meaning. It's still a secret, but it's something which is garden and which was guarded and hidden, but, but now open. It's meant to be out in the open for everyone to see. John Stott describes it this way. In Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries reserved for the spiritual elite. On the contrary, the Christian mysteries are truths which are, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and are so now openly belong to the whole church. So in verse 2 and 3, we see Paul has been made a steward of this mystery. Actually, you can find in detail God's commissioning of Paul in Acts chapter 9, and you may remember the story. Paul, or Saul as he was known, was on a mission from the Jewish religious leaders to round up all the followers of Jesus and throw them in prison. And Paul was on a blind rampage, persecuting these followers of Jesus, and he was on his way to Damascus. And the Lord met him there. If you remember, he was blinded in a new way. He loses his vision by the light of Jesus. And, and Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord uses Ananias to lay hands on him to heal him, to commission him, to ordain him, and to speak God's word over Paul. The Lord tells Ananias in chapter 9, verse 15 of Acts, to go minister to Paul, and he says this, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, this was the stewardship that was given to Paul, and it was this stewardship which constantly got Paul in trouble with the Jewish leaders in various cities as he preached the gospel. They were God's chosen people. They were the inheritors of the scriptural promises of the kingdom. They were the ones whom the Messiah was coming for. The Gentiles were considered dirty, an abomination. Paul's insistence that, they, that God cared for them was a mystery too much for the Jewish elders. Then we see in verses 4 and 5 that Paul points out that this mystery is of Christ. That is, it's the mystery of the Messiah. It's not Paul's mystery. It's the mystery of the Messiah. And further, it was not made known to other generations, he says. The mystery's now been revealed to the apostles and prophets of this generation by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, he actually shares what this mystery actually is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews. The Gentiles are members of the same body of the Jews. The Gentiles are partakers of the same promise in Jesus as the Messiah. Now this was really nothing new for the early Christians. If you remember in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, the apostles dealt with this very issue. But you can understand how devoted Jewish leaders would get upset about this. I mean, their whole world, their whole religious construct was being turned upside down to fulfill the Isaiah prophecies about the Jewish people being a light to the Gentiles. And this is why the apostle is now in chains, why he's in prison for the Gentiles. Paul didn't have to rock the boat. He could have just preached to those Jewish people willing to listen in the synagogues. However, Paul had a divine calling on his life to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Hear Paul in his own words while he's on trial before King Agrippa and Governor Festus. You can find this in Acts chapter 26, beginning in verse 12. This is Paul speaking. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun and shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, we, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and in those I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles for, for to whom I am ascending you. From the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Messiah must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles." This is why he's in prison, because of his commitment to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. It should also be noted here that in the midst of Paul's trial, Paul felt he was not getting justice. And as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal to Caesar for a hearing. And Paul had done this. 
And so now he's writing this letter, awaiting his time before the Emperor Nero in order to share his faith to, the Rome, to Rome's king of kings about the king of kings. Well, in verses 7 to 10, Paul shares the plan of God, which means that it does not end with Paul. It now belongs to the church, all God's people. It's up to the church to share this mystery with the world. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God used Paul to start the ball rolling. But now it's up to the church, God's people, to make the gospel known. Paul will finish his race. Timothy, he'll finish his race. Peter will finish his race. All the apostles would finish their race. And he's now saying it's up to God's people to share the mystery. Look at his concluding words on this issue in verse 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This was God's purpose in Jesus. Now we have access to God. Now we have confidence in him. Through faith in him, he has given us all these things. So in verse 13, he tells them, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Don't be discouraged. This is to your glory and to the glory of God. So my brothers and sisters here this morning, I ask you, what are you willing to go through for the sake of the gospel? Paul has been an incredible example Yet his words seem to fall on deaf ears in our 21st century mentality. We don't have the passion. We don't have the courage. We don't have the desire to make the gospel known to other people. We aren't willing to sacrifice. We aren't willing to go. We aren't willing to give to make the gospel known to others. It's up to the professionals, we say, the clergy, the missionaries or those people who have their act together, as if any of us ever get our act together. So the chairs remain empty in our churches. Our neighbors don't hear about the saving power of the gospel. Someone may say, well, yeah, Paul, he, he had a special anointing and calling on him. Yes, he did. But so do we. God has placed on each of us a special calling. One of our lay leaders in the church, Clark Smith, recently said this. He said, the most difficult, most difficult evangelism we now face is walking across the street and sharing the Lord with our neighbors. 
you and I have been entrusted with this incredible mystery. And so many in our world desiring to know. They want to know, but they don't because we haven't shared him. There are people down the street from us, next door to us, that are hurting, that are suffering, that are struggling, just living life. And we have the answer. There are people wrapped in guilt and don't understand what forgiveness is all about, whose hearts are bleeding, are wounded, and we have the answer. Jesus, the Messiah, who promises forgiveness of sins, who promises eternal life, who brings healing to the soul and to the spirit and to the body. So my question to you, are you willing? Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to be his vessel? Are you willing to speak up and share? We live in a time when we're all talking about cures for cancer because so many of us are affected by it. And if I had a cure for cancer that I knew would work for everything, wouldn't we be shouting from the mountaintops? Here it is. Here's the answer. We have the cure for the soul. We have the cure for eternal life. But we keep quiet. So my challenge to you this morning, brothers and sisters, is let's share what God has done in our life. We don't have to be offensive. We don't have to beat people over the head with the Bible. Just love them and care for them and share what God has done in your life. You'll transform people's lives. Now, lastly, this morning, I may be speaking to somebody here, and you've never come to that place yourself where you've asked Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sins. You've never bent the knee of your heart to yield to him and let him have his way in your life. And if that's the case with you, I would just want to invite you to do that today. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to have abundant, fulfilling life. He wants you to spend eternity with him. But we have to respond. We have to say, yes, Lord. I want you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I want to live life your way. Thank you for listening to A Word from the Lord. I would like to take a few moments and and give you the opportunity to become a believing Christian. I know today we have a lot of folks that go to church and are real religious, but if you were to ask them if they really know Jesus Christ, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. And I don't know if you're one of those people this morning, but if you've never become a believing Christian, I'd like to give you just a simple ABC, not a gimmick, but but just the way it is. A is for acknowledging that you're a sinner. We live in a culture which says, you know, basically we don't make mistakes, but we do. And when we measure up against God's Ten Commandments, um, all of us have fallen short in some way. We've all messed up, and, and that's called sin, and we need to acknowledge that. The B is, is to believe, to believe in Jesus and what He's done on the cross is God's remedy for our sin, is God's solution for being alienated from Him to believe that through Jesus I can be made whole and I can be healed, that I can be forgiven. And the C is for confess. Confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. A lot of folks receive Him as their Savior. They want their, what I call, fire insurance. Make sure they don't go to hell. 
but they aren't willing to allow him to be their Lord, to be the one who uh, is the master of their life, and and to confess that, uh, to be willing to share that with those you love and those you care about, that Jesus is your Lord. So it's really that simple, Um, and yet it's that powerful that it makes such an eternal difference. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the solution. And confess that Jesus is your Lord. I invite you to stop what you're doing right now and and say a simple prayer. Uh, Confess your sin to Him. Tell Him you believe in Him. And then begin to confess Him as your Savior, Lord. If you've done that, I encourage you to uh, let me know. I'd like to send you some materials to help you grow in your Christian faith. It's it's like becoming a a baby all over again, and there's some things you need to know, some, some things you need to learn in order to walk with God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. Please visit us online at awftl.org.